Hi, and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today, I'm speaking with Kimberly Bleese, Executive Vice President of Client Relationships at Blakely. Kimberly has over 30 years of experience in marketing and direct response from both the for and nonprofit sectors. At Blakely, most recently, she and her teams have been doing a series of donor questionnaires to understand the mindset of donors in Canada and the United States during this time of COVID. Kimberly will share the insights from those surveys with us, including how donors' mindsets have shifted over the past few months. If you're starting to plan your campaigns over the next few months, you won't want to miss this. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about all this amazing research that you and the team of Blakely have done in the midst of COVID in North America. I think it's going to be really interesting. So thanks for your time. No problem. Thanks for asking us because it's uh, it's very it's been a very interesting journey, and um, I think uh, people are totally interested, I guess, in in how their donors are feeling and thinking. So uh, it's an ongoing process. Well, there's so much uncertainty, and I think as direct marketers and fundraisers, we love to grab onto whatever data we can to help us make the best decisions possible. And you know, planning is really difficult right now. So I think that any donor data that we have to inform those decisions is super helpful. Right now, I mean, your team has done several iterations of these surveys now since COVID emerged. Can you maybe give us a little context about some of the sectors that your clients are in and the demographics that you spoke with? Yeah, so we uh, support a wide range of clients across North America in various sectors, some frontline COVID food banks, hospitals, research organizations that are researching specifically on COVID-related issues. And then we have a wide range of secondary organizations, some that service uh, vulnerable stakeholders, others that are quite removed from COVID, to be frank. So we wanted to take a look at COVID-related and and organizations that were non-COVID-related attitudes when it comes to donors. And what we did was we partnered with our media partner, Aber Group, and we put together a Google survey, both in Canada and the US, in order to gauge both marketplaces. We have repeated this survey twice now, and we have two more surveys coming. So what we felt was important was just trying to get a handle on shifting attitudes. So we benchmarked the process in late March, early April, and then we repeated the research late May so that we could just take a look at how donors were shifting in their thinking and their feelings towards both COVID causes and and unrelated COVID causes. So, So we wanted to really have a look at a wide berth of people because one of the things that we noticed right away in the beginning of the of the global pandemic was we were seeing massive numbers of reactivation happening in organizations files and so alicia we wanted to take a look and see all right what's draw what's happening with people as they are making decisions to give at this point uh in the pandemic and we also wanted to take a look at how both donors and non-donors were feeling about charity and about giving. And we wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive into some specific areas like sustainer monthly giving. We also wanted to get a sense of, was there any shifting happening in frontline COVID causes? So as we've repeated that 
research and as we repeat it going through 2020, I guess our aim or our goal is to take a look at how people's shifting attitudes towards frontline versus causes they love and adore change. And I think that it's important to look at that because depending on where you are as an organization in sort of the COVID connection, if you will, that is going to determine what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so I think it's one of our goals was just to help organizations to have a better sense of what they should be doing and where general donor attitudes were sitting so that they could plan their marketing a little bit better. And to your point, it's a it's a, a very important point. Planning is very difficult. I mean, all of the plans that we all had coming into 2020 basically, you know, zipped out the window and were, you know, absolutely necessary were reevaluated. And I think there's been a lot of organizations that have stopped fundraising or slowed fundraising down because they weren't frontline COVID. And we have determined and absolutely proven without a doubt that those organizations are actually struggling the most. Your donors want to hear from you. And so that is one of the most important messages I think that Aber and, and, and Blakely determined out of this research, which, which is good, which is exciting. And that makes sense, right? I mean, we've seen that pattern happen before. If you look at more localized emergencies, even September 11th here in the U.S., the groups that pulled back are the ones who ended up seeing a decrease in their fundraising because, you know, to your point, your donors still want to help. They want to be engaged. But this has been such an odd emergency because typically we would be able to do a zip code suppression or isolate the affected state or region. And this time it's everybody. So it is uh, really uncharted territory. So I'd love to hear what you've seen over time in these surveys for some of these shifts. Yeah. So one of the the things, and we we looked at, we focused on 35 plus um, just as a demographic. I know that there are lots of discussion about under 35s and some of their incredible giving patterns that we've seen in the last couple of months. But in the Google survey that we, Abram and, and Blakely did, we wanted to look at over 35, more traditional sort of, you know, fundraising audiences, if you will, in the US and Canada. And one of the good things that has happened is that the core attitudes towards giving have been very strong. So when we did the first wave, about 72% of people uh, were planning to make the same level of donation in 2020 as they did in 2020 or 2019 or more. So trying to donate more. And when we did the second wave of research, that only shifted to 71%. So there was a slight increase in people saying, yes, I plan to make the same donation level. And a slight decrease just by 2% of people saying that they're going to try and donate more. And we've been watching those trends very carefully up against things like McKinsey's optimism sort of charts and things like that to try and determine where are people's giving and headspace at right now as we shift through this pandemic. And we know that one of the things that is driving this, you know, 71% who are willing to give the same or more as, as 2019 is a sense of optimism. And so there's also a massive financial impact, as as you know. I mean, there's been a lot of people out of work. And, and in fact, that number seems to be growing and not shrinking. So the truth of it is there is going to be an economic impact. We are watching very closely of what that's going to look like, frankly, in Q3 and Q4. So because of the extraordinary level of giving end of March through into June, we are looking very carefully at how that's going to impact the Q3 and Q4 numbers for clients and for the not-for-profit marketplace. 
Yeah, those are going to be really interesting moments because that's where some of that more entrenched unemployment, at least here in the U.S., benefits will will run out by then for sure. Canadians have a little bit uh, more of a, a safety net that the government has provided in that area. We've really seen in the research that the general attitude is, if I'm able to do it, I want to give. And so I think that that has been you know, reflected, I think, Alicia, in the numbers we're seeing, isn't it? Absolutely. And you mentioned only looking at 35 as your floor, but have you seen any differences in the sentiment across the, the age demographics in particular, thinking about people who you know, perhaps they're younger and their jobs were less stable or they're not on on their retirement savings, although everyone's seen their portfolios tank too. So are you seeing differences based on where someone is in their life cycle? You know, one of the interesting things that we take, took a hard look at was charities that people supported prior to COVID, how important were they? And definitely the older people are, the more committed to those core charities, those charities that you're passionate about and that you love. If you're younger, you're more apt to be giving or be interested in charities that deal directly with COVID or charities that are even at risk of closure. So I think the younger that the demographic skews, the more interested and engaged they were with COVID-related causes. And I think there's a few drivers to that, Alicia, because I think one of the things that, that COVID has taught us, if nothing else, is to be agile. And I think there's been a lot of of really interesting engagement strategies coming from a lot of organizations. And I think they're appealing to people that may not be, have given before or people that may not have given in a long time. Things like you know concerts and, and virtual social P2P events and things like that. So I think we're seeing part of that reflected in that engagement of those, of those younger audiences. And then we'll talk a little bit in a second about monthly, but I think, you know, sustainers, we've always seen a skew younger and we set, we've definitely seen that in the research. That's so interesting to think about this potentially being someone's entry into philanthropy in the midst of an emergency, which makes sense. But to your point, they're coming in on really novel tactics, right? Correct. Virtual events, virtual concerts, and we always talk about how the best way to keep someone is to bring them back on that same type of engagement that they had. So I guess our virtual events aren't going to go away for a while. No, I think, they're not. I think we're going to have to keep them. <laughs> and one of the things we, we did a, um, an hour discussion on managing crisis donors through the rest of 2020 and into 2021. And I think one of the challenges is exactly what you just said, which is how are we going to engage them and keep them and keep them giving? And I think when you look at response rates of new donors and the best of the best of days where you're doing everything right, you know, you're talking maybe 40 percent, you know, digital only donors in our in our aggregated uh, numbers are about 26 percent. We've seen as low as 10 percent renewal rate in in crisis, traditional crisis donors. So one of the things that we're spending a lot of energy on is not just onboarding, because onboarding is obviously critical to those new donors that you're speaking of, but it's it's more than that. It's what exactly is that journey for those different groups coming in in different, different strategies like P2P and concerts and things like that. What are you planning to do with them for the rest of the year? What we always say is your new donors are not like your old new donors. And so so your ability to be a little bit uh, agile and innovative around these donor journeys for these, in some cases, massive, big groups of new donors coming into the system is going to kind of make or break this process because what you come into 2021 with is going to be critical to recovery and growth. So I think we're spending certainly a, a fair bit of energy 
uh, Alicia, on those new donors and their experience and their engagement strategies so that we can uh, move into 2021 with as many uh, giving as we humanly can. I think that's a great point that these donors are not your typical new donors. And so when you're looking at doing budgets and reforecasts, being able to isolate this group, you know, even just by date of when things really started to hit with COVID in your area or with your organization and being able to budget on them separately so that you're not necessarily taking the same you know, stronger retention rates or behaviors. This is a group where there's going to be more volatility. So for budgets, that's certainly one area where you can start to identify your risk. Yeah. It's also audience definition, Alicia. Like yes. using, spending some energy, I guess, in not being, and I'm not saying that we as not-for-profits can be lazy in this area, but sometimes we do lump people in together, don't we? Absolutely. So I think there's an investment in time and energy on audience understanding that not just the time period, but the source. And remember, when people give to your charity in a crisis, they're doing a lot of things for themselves. Increased empathy, they're gaining control, they're, it's positive growth for them. There's a lot of really amazing things. It really gives them control back. So then what are you doing then to engage those feelings moving forward? And I think I, I think that's, uh, that's going to be the million dollar question, to be honest with you. Yes, million or multi-million probably in some cases. You know, as the arc of the crisis has has shifted certainly across the U.S. We've seen New York City now beginning to reopen. We've seen other states beginning to have their waves happen. And globally, we're seeing more and more now attention on the global south as COVID begins to hit developing countries and refugee camps, et cetera. I'm curious if you've seen a shift in donor interest for the type of causes that they're giving to as time has passed here. Yeah. So in in wave one, we saw incredible strength in food banks, hospitals, even even things like mental health, senior support, definitely vaccines, things like that, really, really strong uh, indicators. And there was some softening on that in wave two. Interestingly, the most the, the biggest softening from about 38% to 21% was actually in the local charities and uh, medical charities and hospitals. And I think there was some shifting attitudes happening, you know, through the process. So everybody's still very focused on, you know, the incredible staff on the front line and all of the work that they've done. But interestingly, I get a little bit of softening on that as you came into the end of May. What did what was also interesting was just the I guess the shifting to to research. So we th- we were expecting to be honest with you a bigger surge on research and we didn't see that happening because we felt like there might be some some people really coming to the table and sort of saying, "Okay, we need to be giving to research now." And uh so so it was very interesting to us that some of those uh hypotheses if you will just didn't uh manifest itself. What I think is also interesting is organizations that are definitely frontline, but also a shift in in people giving to organizations that are, you know, overseas and international aid. So in wave two, we did see a slight increase in that uh, uh, 1% in both Canada and the US increase in, in international aid. So I think the, the focus on giving locally may, was still there in wave two. It did not soften by very much and maybe maybe 2% in the US, but the, definitely the international aid was starting to come you know, come up a little bit. And I think, you know, when we redo the research again, 
I'm expecting to see um, shifts in that even even more more specific around that international focus. Uh, I'd like to see a shift more on research as well, but given the the wave one to wave two research that we saw, we just didn't see that that shift. So you know, again, it's always it, the, these research pieces um, and and looking at attitudes, particularly donor attitudes, is you know is always interesting because you always learn you know things about sort of the pulse of uh, of how people are feeling. So I mean, I think it's uh, it's always worth taking another look at it. So that you can kind of figure out, okay, what are people really looking at now? Yeah, that's so interesting. And did you notice any differences in um, perhaps in that international shift, for example, or the people, the types of groups they wanted to give to locally? Were there differences between the U.S. and the Canadian audiences? Yeah, there there was right through the process. So um, in both waves, the U.S. and and Canada, um, there was a incredible uh, uh, increase, I guess, in planning to give locally in the U.S. versus Canada, which is really interesting. I also think that part of the Canadian and U.S. Uh, comparisons, for for example, you know, food banks and homelessness was a little bit higher in Canada than it was in the U.S., but hospitals and medical charities, m- much higher, like like 6% higher in, uh, in the U S. Wow. So quite a significant difference in, in those pieces. And one of the other interesting ones is, Oh, I think senior support and, and having come out of senior care myself, I always have a, a, a softness for, um, uh, seniors and, uh, and the support they need in Canada, we were seeing 20% in wave one, it went right down to 11% in the way in wave two for senior support. Whereas the U S you know, it, it, it was a little bit more steady. And I think, I think the other one that surprised us a little bit, honestly, was mental health. Uh, in Canada, mental health support was at about 14% in, in the U S it was about 8%, which we were quite surprised at. It's so, it's so interesting because those issues, you know, those vulnerable populations dealing with seniors, mental health even regardless of the sector that you're in, those are issues that almost cut across everything, whether you're a hospital or a senior center or a food bank or, exactly. or education. And so I think that's really interesting for us to, to keep in mind as we're framing our messages and keeping engagement up with these donors as we go. Like, what are the things that are resonating across the board and how does that tie into our message? I also wouldn't have expected such a huge shift no. or difference between those two. No. And I think, you know, obviously um, it's not going to surprise you that uh, political charities uh, and and religious organizations I guess, were a higher percentage of interest in the U.S. than they were in Canada. I was a little bit interested in the religious one because I thought that they would be pretty even. They were not. They were 7% higher in the U.S. than they were in Canada. But And then on the political side, of course, with everything going on in the U.S., of course, political fundraising is going to be, you know, high on people's awareness. And, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's just time of of election and things like that. So in Canada, it hardly even registered. Uh, In the US, it was quite significant. There was about uh, 7% of people sort of focused on on giving to uh, politically connected organizations. So I think, again, you know, it's uh, it's just that different where where our countries are at and and you know where's the social net and what's happening in the environment. One of the other things that we found so interesting because along with this attitudinal research, we've also done a lot of work on aggregated benchmarking and performance metrics. 
year to date in 2020 versus 2020 or 2019. And one of the interesting things, and I think something that uh, your listeners might be interested in is attribution, because I think the discussion that we're having on, on, you know, sort of political giving and the politics and the, uh, of the nation is it's really fascinating to look at attribution. Attribution has ended up being one of the key issues, I think, for us in looking at what people are doing sort of year to date 2020. Um, and the reason I say that because what we've dis- discovered is if there was ever time in your reporting to change the way in which you report and report on time periods rather than sort of more narrowly focused campaigns, it's now. And it sort of speaks to that part of that younger audience that we were talking about, part of that new innovative way in which people are fundraising. What's happening is things are happening in the marketplace that are then spiking and creating halo across more traditional, I guess, uh, fundraising pieces. So what we've started to do with clients is actually look at attribution and report by time period. And what that's done is allowed us to see, you know, that massive spike in uh, online white mail that you have sitting in your your number Mm -hmm. right now is looking hard at what's driven that. So, so for example, I'll give you a great example. The Prime Minister of Canada mentioned giving to food banks on one of his daily uh, addresses. And we saw a massive spike in all of our food bank giving during that you know, few days. That's something that if we weren't paying attention to attribution, it might not have been evident what had happened. But because we have been actually plotting out by time period, it allowed us to realize the enormous impact, actually, of some of the things that are sometimes out of our our, our control, if you will, in, in our not-for-profit that are happening in the marketplace. So when there's, you know, uh, when there's a call on social media by a really you know, big influencer to your organization, and suddenly you you see all this massive, you know, giving happening on digital, and you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, I didn't change my digital media budget. What's happening? You know, I think it's really interesting to take a look at some of that. And I think COVID-19 has really forced us to change the way we're reporting and change the way we're looking at things. And so, you know, we started off this conversation talking about how challenging planning is. And that's exactly part of the reason is, is because we're at times so narrowly focused on what's happening. So it's been a very, I think that's been a, we're never going to go back if that makes any sense to you. We're going to keep looking at time periods up against our overall, you know, fundraising, particularly on the mass side strategies, because it's fascinating to see what the impact of uh, the bigger picture is having on our organization. Well, I think that's so important. And again, I think about building budgets for organizations. It's amazing how quickly, and you can forget what that moment in time was that caused that huge shift. So when you're trying to communicate forecasts to your board, and your leadership, and maybe you're one of these fortunate organizations that has seen the huge spike in it, to be able to really give that context around it for why that's not something you can bank on going into the next year. Like you'll have the retention of these donors, and maybe you'll have some of the ongoing monthly gifts of those donors, but it's absolutely not something you should just take as a given or not interrogate to your, you know, as as you're saying, when you're talking about building those forecasts for the next year. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be a conversation about direct marketing if we didn't talk about the monthly aspect of all of this. So I would love to hear what you've seen in terms of people's interest in giving monthly to some of these causes now in this current moment. And if there, again, were differences in demographics or markets that you saw too. 
Well, as I mentioned um, earlier, the the most exciting thing for us overall is just seeing the openness to monthly giving sitting within these these programs. And in fact, 40% of 35 to 44-year-olds that were uh, surveyed would be willing and open to give a sustainer gift or a monthly gift. What an amazing number. And that only falls to 34% for the 65 plus. So it's, I think when we're looking at numbers and we're looking at things that are opportunities, uh, we've been doing a, a, an amazing amount of work in, in productization of monthly. And I, I've got to tell you, it's because there is, a, you know, sort of a moment in time where getting ourselves pulled together around the, the, the sustainer programs is really, really key. The other thing interesting in the monthly we saw was a very, very specific attitude towards people, organizations that uh, people are already giving to. So they would, would you be open to monthly giving to COVID causes only or organizations that you already give to? And so there was a resounding um, yes to people I give to currently or anybody who engages me in in smart fundraising. There was a very small percent that said only to COVID. So we were happy with that. And what's interesting about the only to COVID people, just to talk about those those, uh, 35 to 44, 6% of them said yes, only to COVID. Um, Whereas only 3% said in all the other age groups, so from 45 to 65 plus, um, said only to COVID. So there was a real leaning of younger people to COVID frontline causes. But I think overall on the monthly picture, we were just really, really encouraged, I guess, to to see all of the people that would be willing to move to sustainer revenue at giving. What was also interesting about the monthly file, Alicia, was uh, they're more interested in receiving information from charities. So there was a, we, we did a, a quite a bit of deep diving on sort of what do people want to see from your organization, particularly because we have a lot of organizations that are not frontline. And we know that when you're not frontline, the key is key keeping your people close and being relevant in their lives. So one of the things we wanted to do was kind of uh, look closely at the people that would be willing to give monthly or are giving monthly now and what that correlation to content. And so they, uh, 44% of them said, you know, that they wanted to receive information from charities uh, versus 21% who didn't have a monthly donor interest. So there was a quite a marked difference in that commitment level from monthly donors. And I also think what was interesting is we were trying to get underneath a little bit of, you know, what, what, what kinds of things do people want to see from us and things like educating yourself about issues and staying healthy during COVID, obviously uh, anything to related to children and engaging kids for everybody who has children, you know, that uh, anybody who's giving great content out that you can sit a child in front of and, and, and spend, <laughs> you know, that's, that's good content. So we saw a lot of that reflected, but particularly interested in sort of that connection to monthly giving. So we were, we were quite excited about the, the opportunities around monthly. That's great news. And I know there's been a little um, bit of nervousness for groups who do have existing monthly files about some of the drop-off rates of those existing monthly donors. Did anything come up about existing donors and their willingness to, you know, maybe upgrade or a need to downgrade or cancel in this environment? 
Yeah, we, we, because we've been doing um, uh, simultaneously to this research, our aggregated research on benchmarking, we were looking very closely at retention rates from, for, for sustainers because we had, there had been a 1% drop in the UK, uh, originally a 3% drop, and then it, it leveled off to a 1% drop. So we were asking ourselves in North America, what was happening? We have not yet, as of May 31st, or you know, the end of May, seen a retention impact. So what that means is, is that people are sticking. Now, again, we're going to be watching these, these aggregated results across the year, and we're going to be sort of updating and reissuing those, those benchmark numbers, because the good news is people didn't come into COVID and all cancel. So we weren't seeing across all of our clients that bigger impact on the retention, but we're going to be monitoring that extremely closely, as you can appreciate. So once the June numbers come in, we can touch base again and sort of see, okay, what's happening with that retention number. But we were relieved, to be honest with you, that we didn't see a massive drop-off or even a 1% or 2% drop-off as they had in the UK. That's really great news. And I think it's important to flag because if you are then one of the organizations that's seeing a drop-off in donors, it may not be COVID-related. It could be something that is tied to your operations or the cards or data integrity or your processor. So I think some of these things can get explained away in a moment like this. Oh, it must be because of COVID. But to have these benchmarks is really important, especially on the monthly file for that reason that, no, it could be something you're doing. So it's worth taking another look to see why your drop off rate in May was 5% if everyone else is seeing just a slight increase on their regular. I think you're so right with, with, you know, I think we have to be careful we don't use COVID to, to explain away, you know, everything. I think the bigger impact because of COVID, because people are paying attention more, they're more focused on local issues, they're more focused on friends and neighbors and families. I think that people are paying attention more. So if your user experience, your data collection, your business rules, some of those, you know, I know they're boring. I know they're, they're not the fun, exciting P2P stuff. But at the end of the day, if your system aren't supporting long-term donor engagement and, and donor journeys that really inspire people, I think you are going to see those cracks open up. And if you want to ensure your success in 2021 and beyond, making sure that you're doing everything you can now to engage and keep those donors connected, is it's going to make all the difference long-term. Well, Kim, I think that's a great place to end, unless there's anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we include. Yeah, I mean, I think the big the big news on this additional research is keep fundraising. So I think, and really have a hard look at your segments, the things that you were talking about, Alicia, where did the donor come from? What inspired them to give first? And how are you going to engage them for the rest of the year? People are definitely focused on what is most important to them. And we just have to make sure that we're one of those things. Even if we are not frontline COVID, we need to stay relevant. And that means we need to, you know, be a little creative and 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 maybe do things that we haven't done before. But I, I can't think of a another time in my marketing and fundraising career where that isn't, you know, an opportunity right now to do because of the global pandemic. So I think, you know, we are extremely interested in where people are, where people's attitudes are heading for the rest of 2020 and and how that's going to look up against performance metrics. But I think people need to do as much as they humanly can now in order to connect and engage. 
I agree. It's not the time for timid fundraising or little iterative tests. It's yeah. the time to, to really go big and see where you can expand on something if there's opportunity and quickly. Yes. Because the moment changes so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Being agile is key. Well, Kim, thank you again. Are there, um, you know, these surveys that you've done and you guys have hosted a lot of webinars on them, but where can people find them if they want to review this or share any of the data with their leadership? Yeah. So they can either reach out to me at KimberlyBlakeleyJourney.com or they can go onto our website, Blakely Journey. And there is a section that actually talks about the webinars and talks about the research. They can just link on that and myself or Amy will, uh, will forward that on. Many thanks again to Kimberly Bleese of Blakely for joining me today to talk about this great donor research. They'll have some new donor research coming up that goes through the end of June. So make sure that you check out their website, blakelyjourney.com for this report, ongoing blog posts about COVID and for updates on when that next webinar will be. If you've enjoyed the episode today, please consider sharing with a friend or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have an idea for a topic, please send me an email at hello at goodfundraising.net. Thanks again for joining me today. Until next time, remember to be nice and do good.